Welcome to the world of beautiful business. This is Zero On Air, helping businesses achieve their goals. My name is Graham Brown. Now, Zero is a software company originally from New Zealand and now global. But what's its culture like? Do high-growth companies like Zero only recruit highly qualified people, or will they consider someone who doesn't have a degree? And how much does world experience, travel, or even people skills come into play in a software business? So many questions. So to help us answer those questions, I'm going to introduce you to two names in the world of Zero: Kevin Fitzgerald and MJ better known as Mahalane Yanmart, both responsible for growth of Zero in Asia and its people. We're going to learn how a qualified accountant ended up running a software company in Asia. It's a journey starting in Ireland and landing in Jersey, Melbourne and Singapore. We'll also learn a little bit about billionaire founder Rod Drury, who these days is found paddleboarding and snowboarding his way around the world. And then there's MJ herself, eight months pregnant and planning to work right up until her due date. Her story is one that involves Japan, the Netherlands and Singapore. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about Zero in Singapore, the people, the mix of people from different backgrounds and why someone would choose to work for a company like Zero rather than Facebook or Grab. So if you're looking for a challenge, would like to learn more about Zero, the story and its culture, listen up because this is an unscripted, authentic conversation with its people. Good morning. This is Zero on Air. We are in the offices of Zero in Singapore, Cross Street. The beautiful new office for beautiful business, joined by Kevin and MJ. My name's Graham Brown. Welcome. Welcome to Zero on Air. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be here. Well, it's great to be here as well. Let's start with a little introduction, then we'll talk about why we're here, because we're going into the heart of Zero a little bit and understanding who you guys are and what you do, and also what you're not. So, Kevin, yourself, sir. Oh, Where are you good from? question. With so, that accent, it can only be? It can only be Dublin, right? And I would say the north side of Dublin, because that's quite a definitive place to be from. Um, but originally from Dublin and grew up there. Spent a lot of time traveling and working abroad, so I actually haven't lived in Dublin in the last 10 years. Yeah. Mm. And how long, where have you been outside of Dublin since? Last I had time? two years in Jersey, in the Channel Islands, um, where I worked in audit, the most exciting I've ever had. Um, I had a year actually backpacking around the world, mm. and then I did um, seven years in Melbourne, and now I've been almost two years in Singapore. Right. You came across from Melbourne to Singapore. With zero. Yes, correct. Okay, excellent. So global migration, I guess. Cir yeah. Circular migration, they call it, I believe. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about travel and the mix of people here as well, because that's sort of part of the zero story, isn't it? Not many people know. I suppose zero is from New Zealand originally. We'll talk about that origin story a little bit as well. And also not many people know, looking at you, Kevin, that you are an accountant by trade. Looking at you now yeah, with, the, yeah. with the zero t-shirt and your sleeve of tattoo here, very cool. What's the story? You used to wear a suit and a tie yeah. as a good accountant. Oh, a good accountant is a compliment to what I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, but, but the, the industry has always been defined by a suit and tie. You know, like in a, it's always been um, recognized as very much a, you know, a, a straight industry falls mm. within very tight barriers. And look, there's still accounting firms where you must have a suit and tie on every day and freshly shaved. But I think that's, that's changing rapidly. And yes, it was me 20 years ago, but I think maybe I've evolved and changed as well as, a, as an individual. Right. But you come from that world and those are a, a lot of your partners and clients as well. So you understand them. So... Yeah, totally. I totally get it. Um, we but, actually we actually refer to the t-shirt wearing accountants as also the early adopters mm. of you know business technology on the technology adoption curve. Mm. But maybe the suits and ties are the other end. Yeah, yeah. We're changing. We're evolving. Yes. But zero isn't an accountancy business. Let's put that out there because some people think that's the natural association. Let's start there. Yeah, it's a software business. Correct. And uh, we actually get that quite a bit. People think we're an accounting firm yeah. that do accounts using technology. Um, but 
that's it. We're, we're totally different to that. We're, we're, a, we're a technology business that provide the software um, to make it easier for, for people to uh, run their business, basically. Um, would you like me to go into the story of Rod Drury and how he mm. started it? So Rod, <clears throat> Rod's our founder, and he was a serial entrepreneur um, from many, many years ago in, um, in New Zealand. And, you know, really he saw a problem, but the problem was his. It was that he had, you know, quite a few businesses, but his accountant was in a different part of New Zealand. And when he wanted information that was concise, or to give him, I guess, a better idea of the financial health of his business, he had to drive to his accountant, give him the USB stick with all the information, go home, and then wait, you know, and wait for it to be contacted or <clears throat> wait for questions or queries to come through. And he just said, hey, there's this thing called the internet now. Let's use it, mm. you know. So basically, took that whole idea of desktop accounting and moved it into the cloud, and that solved a massive problem for him. And that's how Zero started. That was two thousand six, around about then. Yeah, around yeah. two thousand six. Yeah. So he was talking about the cloud yeah. back then. Yeah, and he actually built Zero with his accountant. Right. So he didn't go away and try and solve it himself. He actually engaged an accountant to help him do it. Mm. Yeah. Kiwi Rod. So yeah, yeah, Kiwi Rod. Yeah, we've seen photos of him now, like on a paddleboard, just enjoying life. Yeah, I think he's he, doing well. Paddleboarding. I think he refers to himself as the oldest snowboarder in the world. <laughs> um, so he he's enjoying it, you know. Like, yeah. and he he's worked night and day for a very long period of time to make zero what it is today, um, and that's just a mark of a great founder, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, bringing you on, MJ. Welcome. Thank you. And for those that are listening to this podcast and can't see, and it may not be apparent from the video as well, you're sitting here eight months pregnant. That's right. You're doing very well. You're holding it together. <laughs> you feel good. Everything all right? Yeah, I feel really good. Um, still have my energy as usual. Um, but yeah, of course, excited about, you know, what's going to be happening in a month. There's going to be a lot of change. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to it. So we're just talking off air. You're going to work right up to four days before your due date. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed she doesn't come early. Um, hopefully a week or maybe even too late, wh yeah. which tends to happen when it's your first. Um, so, yeah, I should be all right. We actually have an LT offsite um, the two days before I go. So I need to be around. <laughs> how awesome is that that's the last minute so last minute. cool well, it's great i mean it's great that you can be here and be part of the team as well and do your work whilst you're sort of eight months in yeah because it's not easy i guess it's going to be more difficult to move around isn't it in the next i month, think so yeah by by the last week or two you probably won't see me walking around as much maybe like kev said lying on the couch with my laptop on my belly yeah there's <laughs> some nice comfortable couches out exactly. there in the office as well <laughs> so your story mj you um are from holland originally that's right yes you're born in japan i learned as well so tell us yeah. a little bit about your background um so like kev i haven't spent a lot of time in my home country at all um so i was born in japan uh was there until i was five years old and then my parents moved us to singapore for my dad's job right um and you know i've gone through primary school high school here um and it's all in all it must have been about 25 years in singapore right um, the so only, you grew up here? I did grow up here, right. yeah. So it, it very much feels like home to me. My parents still live here. Um, and uh, yeah, no no plans to leave even, you know. What a great place to be as well. Such a good place yeah. to be. I think we're all sort of nodding in agreement as yeah. well. Yeah. We've yeah. all tried many options, right? We've all That's right. looked for the, the ultimate place to live. I don't think there's any utopia, but Singapore is as good as it yeah. gets, right? Especially yeah. if you're yeah. at a stage in your career and... You know, and like Kev, and I traveled uh, for about a year around the world, but it's funny, you see so many great places, but you still end up, you know, yeah. in the place where you left. It was very easy here as well. It I is. Mean, if you're working, you know, I think you don't want to be worried about transport or the basic logistics of life. So here in Singapore, things are very easy. I don't think you realize how easy it gets until you land at Changi Airport and you're home like in 20 minutes. <laughs> That's right. You know, compare that to anywhere else in the world. You know, it's phenomenal, really. And it just makes for a great experience of living. And I think that is something people consider when they're choosing places to work as well. Mm. You know, the fact that it's just easy here. Yeah, I think that's an important kinda, factor. I hope we don't take it for granted. You know, I, I, I had like a, 
in mini competition with myself last year because I was flying quite a lot to, to Hong Kong and I was like, how quickly can I get out the plane door and in the door of the apartment? And I think I did it in about 23 minutes. 23. Yeah. Yeah. It was quick. That's you know? amazing. Really quick. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I think like automating your life outside of your work is also quite easy. You yeah. know, like in terms of the services here and I would say Singapore is geographically small. So it does make things, a, you know, a tad bit easier. Whereas if you're living in a bigger city, even Melbourne where I lived, I was 45 minutes outside the city. Right. Um, that's when I first moved there. And that, that adds hours to your day. Mm. Um, and also I think your, your mental readiness in some ways, like you've got to get up and face that journey. And it becomes normal after a while, but at the start it's a bit of a pain. How does that reflect in the kind of people you've got here within the zero offices. Let's talk about the numbers here first and then what kind of backgrounds they're from. So how many people do you have here in this office in Cross Street? We have 27 people here in Singapore, um, but overall Asia is 35. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a, a real mix of people. So, you know, our headquarters being in uh, New Zealand, right? We have a few people who have come over from headquarters uh, to here. Three people actually who've done that. Um, and then a couple of people like Kevin from Australia. Um, and then the majority, you know, are local hires. So mm. a mix of, um, you know, backgrounds and nationalities. We have people coming from, of course, the accounting sector, uh, but people who have been in technology sales. Um, you know, there's a, a couple of people uh, who've lived here a long time, uh, but from different nationalities. So it's a really good mix, good background. Um, and, you know, of course, all ages as well. Um, so it's a really, really good place to be. Great. And what do you think attracts people to a place like this? Because we're in Singapore. There's a lot of tech companies. I could choose if I wanted to work for, I could work in Facebook. I could work in Grab. They're all hiring like crazy. Yep. Why do people come through the door here? Do you attract a certain type of person? I know you're going to say like they're passionate and energetic, but that that's everywhere, right? But is there a certain type of people that come seeking out Zero in particular? Yeah, I think the you know what's so different about Zero to the companies that you just listed is that they're so they're massive, right? right. So you have you know hundreds, if not thousands, of people working there. They all have a very uh, specific role, um, and probably you know every day is pretty much the same for them. But here, you know, we're a very lean team. Like I said, we're only 27 people, but we have so much to do, so many challenges ahead of us. Um, so we're really, you know, attracting people who um, want that diversity on a daily basis and who really want to make an impact um, and, and see that impact pretty quickly. Because um, I think that's the kind of business that, that we are running at the moment. Um, yeah. yeah. I, think there's a, I think there's a learning opportunity in it. You know, like you want to build your career exposure i guess in terms of the the different scenarios you've been in you know and there's not as many opportunities to grow a business off the ground rather than actually go into an established business and take over a you know a certain piece of work or um focus on one specific task i'd mm. say or, or specialize in and the more and more i read nowadays it's 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 becoming about the breadth of experience in a lot of cases that really see career tra trajectory take a little bit of a leap um, and I probably have seen that with myself, you know, going from accounting to audit to hedge funds to recruitment and now technology. Like it's given me a, a wide span of understanding of how, how business works, but also how the world works in different ways. Mm. Um, and you don't become enclosed in, in one kind of view. And, and that's a risk, I think, for people nowadays as well. But I think with zero is at the size we're at, like it's, you know, we, we ask and expect people to do a range of different things in their role. So that's where I think the opportunity is for people to learn and, and maybe maybe they mightn't see that at the start, but when they, they have a year under their belt or two years, they look back and go, wow, I've been through all these scenarios. Mm. Like I've got a lot more experience in how to either navigate or get the best out of a different situation. So we talk a little bit about the stories of the people that you have mm. recruited and how that sort of worked out. And maybe we can start, this is a question I ask all the startup founders that I sit with when they recruit is that. I see them in the business of talent spotting when people walk through the door. You have the CV, which is really getting you through the door, but it's that ability to identify talent that I think makes a, a great leader or a great founder or a great manager. 
But how do you do that? What do you look for when somebody walks through the door and says, I want to work here? Are there certain qualities that really check the boxes for you? Obviously, they're going to have good education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's put all those aside. But is there certain things they say or certain things they do which you sort of connect with that sort of happen outside of the CV? Yeah. And for me, it's... um we talk about attitude all the time and, and people bring in the best attitude that they can um, to work and to our business, which reflects on our partners and our customers. And really one thing that I, I always look for is the CV gets you the opportunity to have an interview. Like coming to an interview and rereading or re kind of going over your CV is probably not the best approach that I ever take. And having spent a number of years in recruitment, it's more about sitting down with the person and seeing What's the first words out of their mouth? You know, what are they actually talking about? And do they show a, a warmness of character um, to maybe ask about the other people in the room and, and have a, I just have a, a bit of a general conversation and, and show curiosity as well. So when you start to have a more personal conversation with somebody as you enter an interview, I think that's a great way to show engagement straight away. It kind of proves the curiosity and they're, they're the things I look for in the first couple of minutes and mm. as simple as, you know, what have you been up to this week? How was your weekend? You know, what what's on for the rest of the week? Like, do you have a big workload on or do you have something exciting on the social scene that's happening? And there's a very easy way for somebody to take the opportunity to build that warmness, but also be able to tell a story as well about maybe what's going on. And, you know, we're, we're as passionate as we can be um, about what we do for our customers and our partners and really seeing, I want to see that in somebody, you know, I want to see that they have that care factor where they care enough to have that personal conversation. And it's not just into, I'm here for an interview to talk right. through my CV. Um, and that care factor is really important for me and the leadership team here to, to really understand it. And that's the first point. Like the second point is more, what's their capability. But I think if you your capability can be magnified by how much you care and how much effort you put in and the attitude and the capability can be tested obviously in interview but you know it's also how well they talk about their experience and right. everything like that so that's kind of a bit of a a box ticking exercise in, in my eyes like i really want to see the person um because i know having the experience of you know really getting the zero age of business off the ground and zero australia like that was still relatively small when i started you kind of need that strength of character and care factor to make it successful. So, like, so what do you, when I walk into an interview with you yep. or with you, MJ, I might, let, let's sort of put it out there because some of the listeners might be thinking it might be a bit rude for me to mm. ask you. I mean, there's that sort of training that we grew up with at school where you just answered questions. You never asked them, right? So to ask you about your day, if you said to me, Hey, Graham, How's it going? I said, yeah, it's great. If I then turned back and said, Kevin, yeah, so how was your weekend? Somebody might think that was flippant mm. in a way. I know in my old school days, I would have got a clip around the ear for saying that to a teacher. <laughs> I came from the, the old world. How many, how many clips around the ear did you get? <laughs> Too many of my ears are like cauliflowers now. So there's that sort of attitude, but also um, how do I actually do that? What would be appropriate? And then this is not just for zero. This is great advice for anybody seeking a career to work in yeah. the right company as well. So how would that actually work? So I walk in and you say, how's it going, Graham? How should I respond? I think it's, I think that's given somebody the opportunity. So when I know there is a, you know, in all aspects of society, there are people that will sit back and not be ready to engage on that level and they could be nervous. You know, so we give them a few questions to kind of get it going. And they can be the really standard things about, you know, what have you been up to today? What's on later yeah. today? How much time do you have for the interview? Um, you know, do you need to be back to your office within a certain amount of time? Like, give me the, the opportunity to help you if you're, you know, obviously a bit nervous. And it, it as easy as, like, what was the best thing that you did at the weekend? Like, tell me about it. Who did you do it with? What's your kind of, you know, social scene in terms of um, being able to tell that story? Mm. Um, and there, there is a point where you can't keep asking. Like you can, you got to be, you know, savvy enough to see if it's making somebody feel uncomfortable and they just want to get into the interview. And that, that can be, you know, something that's been built in them, you know, through their formative years. So you can't break that. But I don't know if they'd be the best fit for us. Mm. 
can you train that? That's yeah. the point, isn't it? That sort of natural attitude that they bring. I think it reflects in business as well, because even though this is a software business, people buy from people, mm. right? That's ultimately what it's about. They buy the experience that the people give them. Yeah. You know, if you're good people, people will buy from you. If you have a great product and they don't like you, they'll never buy from you, right? right. So people will always engage, even with the digital world, with the analog people at the end of the day, right? So yeah. how do you, when, when you have people in this business, how do you sort of look for those qualities? What kind of people are you? Yeah, I mean, I, kind of kind of continuing from what I was saying, I think it's, you know, the fact that we look for people who are going to be able to communicate well is important because, yeah, you know, they're in, in touch with their colleagues, customers, partners on a daily basis, um, you know, so can they hold a conversation um, and, you know, share their ideas and, and be articulate. It's definitely important. Um, is that more important than the fact that I can write code? For our roles here, yes. Really? Um, Even for a developer? For I mean, we don't, so we don't hire developers here right. in Asia. Right. Um, what we, our developers are all in, well, primarily New Zealand. Uh -huh. Um, so we haven't hired any developers so here. Do you have technical roles here? We do have technical roles here. I mean, I'd say, you know, even if you have an amazing sales track record, that's not enough. Um, you know, we really want to make sure that we're getting people on board who are going to be a good team player. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, those soft skills are, are really, really important. What I also look for, um, you know, when I'm interviewing people is, um, you know, can they think outside of the box a little bit? Are they... Are they coming to us with, you know, ideas already about what they could do in the role? Um, you know, personally, three years ago, um, before I joined Zero, I hadn't really heard about the company before. But when I started doing research and, you know, reading about the company, learning everything there is to know about it, I became really enthusiastic and made it my mission. You know, I really want to join Zero. Mm. Um, so, you know, we really expect people to, they don't have to be an expert of Zero at all but they have to be able to tell us why they want to join Xero. Um, you know, what is their motivation and, you know, why do they want to be part of this company? Um, that's really important. That bit about they come to you with ideas. Let's talk about that because there's that sort of transactional interview we've talked about where somebody turns up, they present what's on their CV and then they go home or back to the office. Yet there's those people that come having done a lot of research and quite passionate about it and seeing how they can fit in and then saying, I've thought about this, I've done my research and maybe you haven't thought about that, but I've been looking at these areas. Do you have examples of that where people have come to you and said, you know, I've done this sort of background research that you're too busy doing your thing, but let me share that with you. How does that sort of manifest when you meet these people? I, I have seen, or well, we, we recently hired a head of sales for Asia <clears throat> And we went through a pretty long process um, to find this person. And we had some people come in along the way. And even without request or solicitation, they actually did um, a presentation, you know, and put it together. And, and one thing that's pretty, that I look for is that, that street smarts, like the savviness, like how can you read a business from the outset or from what the job description says or what the first conversation say, what MJ has been, like you get limited information. Um, so really, what can you come up with and how do you, how quickly do you understand our platform, our, um, our customers and how we actually reach our customers? Like that's the key thing. We, I'd say one of our biggest challenges is we work with SMEs. They're the most fragmented market globally, mm. you know, and when somebody comes in and starts thinking about that, that's what I really look for. If someone comes in and starts saying, I think this is how you can improve your product. I think that's a different mindset. But if someone's like, this is a bigger challenge that I think we can look at, I think that's a really cool way to, to approach an interview. Let's, um, let's just unpack that a little mm. bit. There's a really important point. I think I can improve your product versus the bigger challenge. What's the difference here? Um, I think improve your product might be, it could fall into two categories. One could be, you know, I have experience of being a business owner. If you did this, I think it would make an impact on your users and, and potentially yeah. bring you new customers. Um, part B of that could be, um, I don't like parts of your product. I think you should fix this. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's the, that's the kind of straightforward thinking. Um, really what I would look at is, well, what's our, what's our biggest challenge? Yes, mm. product features are great and we would love to have be shipping features every week. 
Um, but that is also, you know, in the in the engine room of zero, like our big development team, our big um, product management team connected to sales. Like I would suggest that there's a lot of stuff in there that we're already thinking about. Um, where I would look for opportunity for someone is how can we have more reach? Mm. You know, like we've got 1.8 million businesses using zero at the moment. Like how do we get that to five? You know, how do we get it to 10 million? Like where can we reach? What countries, what stream should we live in? especially in places like Asia or even Africa. <clears throat> so how do I approach that if I was thinking in those terms? I, I get the bit about the product part, the features, because if somebody brings those ideas, they're useful, but they don't understand where the business is at. They haven't looked inside the engine room and understand why it's like this. Mm. So they haven't absorbed the, the learnings of the business as well. And that's, in a way, sometimes just extra work for you, isn't it? It's like, okay you've got to understand how this product works before you want to change it, right? There's a reason why it's like that. Yet the people that come seeking the bigger challenges, mm. those are the interesting ones. And interestingly, in your lobby, in your entrance here, there's a big, you know, there's a big uh, painting or picture out there that says challenge on it. Yep. And I know Rod from the sort of DNA of the company is a guy who likes a challenge, right? Definitely. What does that mean? So how do you find those people? Because I think everybody would say to you when they want to work here, and this doesn't just apply for zero. This is any company. Anybody says they're hardworking, they're passionate, they never give up, all that stuff. Yet, how do you know somebody's real when they say that they have a real passion for the bigger challenges? I think one of the things that we've done, for example, in um, hiring a few salespeople is to say, hey, you know, the scenario is that it's a challenge. We don't necessarily have, you know, enough customers and um, partners coming to us every day. What are you going to do to go out there and find them yourself? Mm. Um, and that, that means I have to think on the spot, right? And come with ideas. Um, and yeah, you know, some people do. They say, oh, I'm just going to go out there and um, knock on the doors of every accounting firm or I've already downloaded this list of, you know, um, firms that I want to call. Um, some people, you know, are really... Um, thinking about, you know, going to SME associations and doing presentations every day. And, you know, I do minimum 10 meetings a day. So, you, you know, they're, they're, they're already setting a standard. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? So yeah, definitely looking for people to be able to back up what they're saying. I love people like that. Those are the people that you want in your business. Yeah that have already they bring hustle what, right absolutely the and hustle. resourcefulness yeah, yeah exactly and they just need to plug into the resources and the team that you have here yeah. and they're ready to go right yeah and i think that's that's transfer of passion like we don't expect that people come to us passionate about the accounting industry we will find some people but generally they've worked in the accounting industry but mm -hmm. we want to see how they can transfer their passion and when we talk about our values and you know, some of our major goals and missions that they can tap into that. Um, and that's something that, you know, we've seen in interviews, people that come in with ideas and presentations and kind of, they nearly get off their CV as quickly as possible because they're already thinking about the, the business that they could be working for and they're happy to share ideas and <clears throat> have a conversation around where they could take the role. And I think that's that's a really key thing that if you saw somebody with that approach, mm. they're probably the people that are going to progress to the next round pretty quickly. Um, anybody that comes in and says, I'm hard work and I do this, it's like, so basically the same as nearly everybody that's Join working the at queue. the moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's that's just the, those words start to, that's nearly my mental switch off. Yeah, it's almost, it can be lazy as well. Hard working yeah. can be lazy, ironically, because it can just yeah. be making up for the, all of that by just not putting in, yeah. You know, by putting in the hours to make up for the, the lack of results, right? Or the resourcefulness. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you guys don't come from this world, the software world, right? As far as I understand. So tell me a little bit about when you came into this world, how things changed for you, like mindset wise. Was it just an easy fit in or did you challenge yourself mentally? Did you have to sort of unlearn a few things? How was it your first few days in the world of software? MJ, you want to... Uh, for me, it was quite a big transition. So I was working in uh, strategy consulting first. Um, and, you know, it's very, very different, right? You go from project to project, um, manager to manager. You kind of have to fight for the projects that you want to do. There's not a lot of continuity. Um, 
and it's quite it's quite harsh you know the hours as well yeah um so uh when i joined zero what you know one thing that i really loved about it and that's so different is that i feel like we're really one team and we have you know one mission and we might all be in different roles but we're all you know fighting for the same thing which is to help smes um grow their business so having that common mission um and being able to contribute that whatever role that may be uh for me has been amazing and i you know can't even can't even imagine being anywhere else or yeah. imagine being in the previous role at all i can um, imagine the difference with consultancy even though it trains you with all those skills and ways of thinking is yeah. that you're just hopping from one business to the next one you project. are yeah you're advising one business in one industry then you go to another business in another industry you have one manager on one project another right. manager on another project so it's um of course it's very diverse you learn a lot you also learn to be very resilient right and you know you have to be gritty um but you know of course you know zero is is completely different business and actually being in a business like this where you're yeah building a business together from the ground up you have a common mission that's that's cool that is really cool yeah, yeah. people want that i think yeah and what about yourself kevin you did you was the first thing is to get rid of your tie and trade in the suit <laughs> yeah it was like and it was a it was, was a it? real change and I, I remember um in melbourne i still talk about the story of you know, I came in to work for, for Trent, who's, the, who's the, the MD of Australia and Asia. And at the time, he was the sales director for Australia. Um, and I'd been working in a international recruitment firm, you know, working in the financial services team, leading that business. And it was all about recruiting accountants, bankers into the banks and financial services businesses in Melbourne. So it was always fully suited, you know, tie, shaven to the point where the chap who ran the Melbourne office, he would keep razors, shaving foam, you know, anything that you need, spare tires in a in a locker, you know, and it was basically like, you must come in at 8 a.m. and finish at six or later, but you must be ready at that time and be very polished. And one, it, it cost me a lot of money in suits and, um, <laughs> you know, fit out for, for the job itself. And two things happened to me when I joined Zero Melbourne. It was, um, Trent said to me, hey, have you ever used a Mac before? And I said, well, it's been a long time. I'd prefer to have a PC. And he just handed me a Mac and said, figure it out. And I think that was a very clear statement of you're somewhere different now. Mm. Like you're going to have to challenge yourself to think differently and, and change. And then secondly, it was, you know, here's your T-shirt. You know, wear it, wear it today. Like get it on, be, be part of the crew. And I think this, the, the, the whole T-shirt side of it is more about like we are a different business and, you know, we've got to relate to our customers more than being suited and booted or working in the, the back engine of a, a technology business and not seeing customers. We actually see them all the time. You know, you walk the streets of Singapore, especially around this area, you'll see people using Zero in their business and they'll chat to you, you know, because you have the T-shirt on. Right. So that happened to me a few times in, in, in Melbourne, especially around Richmond area, all the cafes, restaurants, um, e-commerce businesses, um, they had a bricks and mortar store like they would say hey you're from zero you know i love it um and that was a real change for me like the first especially two to three weeks i was like whoa this is this wow. is very different did that happen in your previous job no exactly definitely not yeah my my sort of introduction to zero is it must have been 2007 2008 i was in new zealand at the time working with telecom new zealand and uh one of my friends who was working at Telecom there said to me, you've got to check out this Kiwi company. I think they'd just floated by then. That was 2007, 2008, that time. So they're really new and they were like obviously hot at the time. And uh, I checked Zero out. I looked at it and thought, wow, this is really good. I love this. And love being a word you don't normally use yeah. for accounts, right? Yeah. And how many people actually, you know, in other companies like to wear their company t-shirt? Well, I think that's pretty unique as well. People really happen, wear it with pride. It? No. No. So that, I mean, that sort of affiliation with a, a brand, is, yeah. you, you might associate it with, you know, maybe a, a FMCG brand, like a, a, a consumer product or so on, but not necessarily with like an accounts package software. Right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of a strange evolution of 
sort of customer relationship, but it absolutely works. And you see it with the way people talk about it. People walk up to you and say, hey, Zero, I love Zero, right? And I had that, I'm not saying that just because I'm sitting here with you, but I've, I had that at the beginning. I thought, I love this. So in my instance, I went back to my uh, business partner and said, back in London, I said, we've got to get on this package, these accounts, we've got to try it out because I'm traveling around the world and I've got to be able to access this. He said, great, let me get our accounts and move it across. And then we went to the other one. And at the time, I think you had to email their customer support <laughs> to get all your customer data out yeah. because you couldn't, it was locked in. Yeah. And I was just sort of pulling my hair out thinking, wow. But just to make it easy, and you talk about beautiful business as well. Yeah. We don't hear those words used often. I sort of bring in some, you know, like reference as well. I'm a great fan of Zappos, the um, shoe, the online shoe store oh, got bought yep. by Zappos, um, by Amazon for a billion dollars. And he wrote a book, Tony Shea wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. And his thing was all about, you know, if you create an amazing workplace and look after your people, they will look after your customers. So, you know, if people really cared about their people, they care about the business. That's right. That's where it starts. Rather than these big branding exercises, you can spend billions on brand and advertising. But if you don't look after your people, yeah, they won't care for the front line, right? So let's talk about beautiful business. What exactly does that mean? Because that could sound like you've sat with a branding consultant and here's your mission statement and you spent millions on this and this is what you're going to do. But you guys truly believe it. How do you actually affect that on a day-to-day -day basis? What does it mean to be beautiful? Great question. Um, I think it's actually evolved. So we, it started as beautiful accounting software um, and that was very specific around what we did and, and what we provided. Um, and that's that's one thing. You know, like accounting software is a, you know, a back office system that's essentially invisible. You know, like it should kind of look after itself. And when people read that tagline, beautiful accounting software, they think just accounting. You know, whereas a business is a whole range of different things. And essentially an accounting package is the, the, the back office that records everything that has happened. And we worked on how do we, how do we change that? And you know, it's really interesting you talk about love. Like I've had so many people come up to me on the street and say, I love zero. And, and, and that ties back to the beautiful business piece. And we felt that just beautiful accounting software wasn't strong enough. It didn't explain in a short kind of statement who we were and, and what we were about. And we have so many stories of people globally who get told, you know, I love zero. Like, and it's such a strange thing to hear. Mm. And it happened to me on the, the first day we opened our office in Hong Kong last year. And we're in a WeWork space. And a, a lady came up to me and she's like, oh, are you, are you from zero? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, I love it. And I've, I say this to the team all the time. As soon as somebody says that to me, the first response is, you know, thank you. Are you sure you love accounting software? And it, that's not what it's about. It's about actually what, what it allows them to do. And that becomes the part of the beautiful business. Yeah. And really, that's something that we, we work on, you know, showing the teams because it comes into also what we do internally. So you talked about caring, but we try to make it as beautiful here for the teams to have a great place to work, which then reflects the inside out culture and the way that we want to actually give that to our SME customers and accounting partners as well, so that they get to experience what we're talking about. And really, when you start to see people who do embrace um, cloud technology for their business, that's when they really start to see the benefits and it becomes beautiful for many different reasons. And I think one of them is it just allows them to get on with actually the business itself rather than focusing on the accounting. Like there's not, outside of the accounting and bookkeeping industry, I don't think there's that many people who do want to focus on accounting. Mm. So therefore, beautiful business covers the whole lot. It's like, well, what have I got now? What can I do? What can I focus on? Okay, now I'm back to the reason why I got into business is to either grow or do something that I'm really passionate about. Mm. I love these words. I mean, passion, beautiful, mm. love, not often associated in, in this sector as well. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast, those who may be listening to it from the, from the perspective of how do I do that for my company? You know, I'm curious about how we could share some ideas on that because, you know, how, you could spend a lot in, 
on a logo and advertising and all of that. And that may work to some degree, but it won't be long term. How do you, I mean, if I was a, a software company listening to this and say, yeah, I love this idea. How do I do that for my business? Are there sort of obvious ways of doing that? We've talked about, for example, what you do with the culture here, the people. That's a starting point, right? Is there anything beyond that? I mean, I notice you, you guys don't seem to spend a lot on advertising. I don't see a lot of adverts for you around. And I think that's a deliberate, I mean, you, you do a little bit, but it's a small percentage compared to not others. Not a lot above the line, Yeah. Um, but a lot is digital. So we tell a lot of customer stories, a lot of partner stories, um, a lot of campaigns, definitely. Uh, mm. But you just don't see it. You know, when you're driving down the road, you don't see a big billboard or you don't see any TV commercials. Um, but we do a lot online. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, your people is your brand, right? So they go out and talk to their network of friends um, that, that spreads the word. Um, it's, it's a really important way for us to grow here right now. We, you know, we get the best talent in through referrals um, because people know what they're like mm. and if they're going to be a good culture fit. Um, and I really, I really like this approach of the, the inside out. You know, if you, if you really, you know, treat your people well if you have a good culture then that's really going to reflect in how they communicate with customers and partners and it's the network effect of that is really really important yeah um, yeah we have you know rachel powell as our chief people and customer officer right um brand as well but the fact that you've got one person looking after people and customer chief people officer yeah this is a lot yeah what, what does a chief people officer do well is she that what, Traditionally, would have been HR. Exactly. But we call it people experience. Right. Um, but yeah, so people is, is one part of it. But then she also looks at customer and, you know, how the two should be interacting yeah. and really That's promoting that inside out approach. Yeah. Because traditionally, they would be in different. They would. Yeah. Verticals. Exactly. Or in different departments. Yeah. And they wouldn't even talk to each other. Exactly. They may have their own water cooler and <laughs> just hang out with each other. That's yeah. always the challenge, isn't it? In, sit in different business. buildings, yeah. right? Yeah. Probably, usually. Yeah. Especially as you grow and you yeah. become bigger, you have to sort of try and arrange teams and they naturally form into these departments. Yeah. And that, that becomes the product. That becomes the marketing department. Exactly. Making the widgets, selling the widgets. So having somebody that sits across that is interesting. Brings it all so. together, yeah. And you, you mentioned we don't <clears throat> spend a lot on advertising. Well, well, part of it is actually the how viral zero goes and... You know, you look at all the the businesses that you're, you're you know, connecting with are um, the payroll side of, of zero in, in certain countries is that um, like the invoice has gone out, like, the, you know, SMEs are sending invoices out and it's branded zero or people are getting paid and their payslip says zero on it. And, and right now we're paying just over two million people um, every month in Australia. Mm. So therefore, the brand in terms of spending on advertising i don't think is as needed you still need to do brand awareness to let people know who you are and don't get mixed up with zero or xerox right. you know like that that's something that we look at in, in asia for sure and um, really identifying who we are and then i think when people start to see the beautiful business that builds some curiosity but generally what i've experienced with our growth here and, and in australia as well as people are, are telling their friends and they're telling their supply chain and then they're telling their their staff, they're telling people they do business with in terms of B2B um, just by actually being on the platform itself. Mm. And doing common things uncommonly well. Yeah. You don't have to do amazing things. You just have to look after the basics of business and that will please a lot of people, right? Yeah. I think that's the, yeah, yeah. the basics of building trust. Definitely. You've yeah. grown very fast as well. Mm. Uh, you've just had some results published which all, on all intents and purposes look great. You've had a good year. Um, you're 12 years old about, is that right? right? Yeah. 12 years. You're in a sort of a hyper growth stage now, which is exciting. You're bringing in a lot of people, but it's not without its challenges. So let's talk about some of the challenges there. Any business that goes from being a startup to effectively a corporate with a startup mindset is going to face challenges. It's You can't not have challenges. So maybe we can share some lessons learned that you've experienced in A, growing the business and B, recruiting so many people. What have you learned in that process? Let's talk about bringing people on as well because you would have had 
the remit to bring on a lot of people as you open this office here in Singapore. Um, people always come with challenges, right? Especially if you're recruiting 20 or 30, right? So maybe we can start there. What have been some of the challenges that you've faced? Let's open that up and talk about maybe some of the mistakes you've made as well and what you've learned from that. So how many people have you recruited here in the last year, for example? We've doubled, haven't yeah, we? Doubled. So we, yeah. we had 17 people join um, the Asia business just over the last year. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did they all join in one batch or was No, it, it was uh, spread out across the year. Um, we had uh, the Hong Kong team start at the beginning of the year. So that was, I guess you could call that a bit of a batch. Um, but after that, it was maybe one person a month, if you know, if right. not more. Um, were you recruiting in Hong Kong as well? Or? Yes. So yeah. you, you guys were involved in that. So you yep. would recruit, okay. Logistically. Yeah. We, we went up there quite a bit. We actually had a, a road show in, in Hong Kong in February last year. And we, we used that as a, um, a recruitment opportunity as well. So people that were already in the process of which there was, I reckon there was 12 or 13 from yeah. memory that were down to, you know, final round for four roles. And that was going to be the first crew on the ground. So we had all these kind of thoughts in our head around, well, if we if we had this person successful and then how would they, you know, bond with this person? And it was becoming this like, you know, major matrix of, you know, how are we going to set the team up that we, we get them started and they, they're feeling successful as quickly as possible and they've got the right attitude as a group, but also individually. So we used Hong Kong Roadshow as an opportunity to see how they'd act in that group setting. So we had, we had nearly 400 accounting partners come along and we invited all of the, the final round um, interviewees to, to come and see the show and see the product demonstrations and see our product announcements. But it was amazing to see that a couple of them actually met each other, mm. you know, and spent a couple of hours together and started to bond already. And then we're speaking to some of our team. So we told all the, the team that flew up, of which there was probably 10 of us, Hey, there's going to be, you know, 12 people here. Keep an eye out for them. Help them along. Um, but just remember that they are an interview process. So have that, you know, level of respect that they, they might be a bit nervous as well, or they might have some questions. So, you know, find out who they are first. So that was a, that was a big one for us. I yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. You've never done something like that before? Not, not, not with that um, level of distance, physical yeah, distance. Yeah. Like I've done heaps of recruitment and built teams. And um, <laughs> that was another level of, Wow, we're actually taking a pretty, I'd say a much bigger risk, not a pretty big risk, yeah. a much bigger risk, like to hire people, um, to set them up in the office. They came to Singapore for three weeks, yep. you know, to get the, the initial training and then went back together. And they're, they're a great example of a team that, you know, really had to bond together at the start. Like, you know, day one was open the, the doors to the WeWork office and going down to the electronics market in Hong Kong to buy equipment right. for the office. And that was the... <laughs> they did that. We did it together. Yeah, I was there was and good. we went down. We've got photographs. Yeah. was buying, you know, doing, trying to get deals on um, computer <laughs> screens and stuff. And um, Could you do a trade for zero accounting software? We tried. <laughs> we tried. I, I always try. Um, <laughs> and it was it was really cool, you know, first couple of yeah. weeks because, the, you know, they would, they would open up and say, wow, those days where they just didn't know what to do next. You know, it was like, what am I going to do today? We're just getting started in the market. Um, we hadn't gone out and hired people who'd been in, you know, that scrappy startup environment before. And yeah. we really said, well, look, I think we can facilitate them and we can spend enough time in Hong Kong as a leadership team, and you know, to go up and help them with that side of it and point them in the right direction. But they've, they've turned out to be a, a jewel in our, in our team this year. And I, I'd love to go back and, you know, write some notes on it, but... I think actually been forced into that situation at the start really made them as a group. Yeah. And they've been through some real challenges up there as well. Like in, you know, getting the business off the ground and, and they're experiencing growth that's way bigger than Singapore and Malaysia at the moment. Mm. And I think as a team, they are solid. Yeah. You know, they look after each other. They'll have events on. If somebody has a training event that's all day, someone else will go out and make sure that their room is set up, that they've bought them breakfast, that they're ready, that they've no interruptions, and they can just focus on executing what they're there to do. That's yeah. great. Um, so you started with that, going yeah. to the market, buying the electronic stuff. I mean, yeah. that, that's an important part of it, isn't it? They feel ownership in the whole process, right? How many people did you recruit in Hong Kong? So we, we had four right. um, initially. Um, and now we've gone to five and I think we'll go to nine or 10 yep. pretty quickly. Right. And we actually have somebody from our Singapore office is going to go for six months to comment. 
So with about 30 plus people in Asia that you've recruited in the last year, mm. what do you know now about recruitment with your new people that you didn't know a year ago? Because it's been a learning curve. I'm not saying you're completely greenhorned, but you were like, you know, you, it, 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 you took risks. You did things that on scales you hadn't been used to and so on. Looking back, what do you know about that process you didn't know on day one, day zero, if I can say that? No pun. <laughs> I think one thing that we really need to look, it's a learning from the past year, but also going forward um, because we are a business that wants to grow really quickly and keep scaling. We really need to figure out how are we going to be able to scale uh, the recruitment process because we, of course, we want it to feel very zero. We want to keep it very personal, which it is at the moment. Um, but at the same time, you know, whenever we put roles online, we wanted them filled yesterday. Um, and at the moment, you know, the, it, it takes a little bit of time to fill them, probably a little bit too long um, because we just haven't, you know, scaled enough to be able to have a pipeline that's ready. Mm. Um, so, you know, when roles go online, we ask the team, you know, send us referrals. Are there any people that you know that would be a great fit? Um, but by the time we find the right fit, we're usually a few months, you know, down the road already um and ideally every time a role comes up we have some people already in mind who could be a great fit um so definitely we need to work a little bit more on how are we going to scale mm. the recruitment engine yeah this is the challenge isn't it, it? Is. in a hyper growth company is that you are all about people the software and the customer bit that, that's the easy part in theory right yeah because you can scale that the people are the least scalable part yeah because that's right they come with all their issues and the, the fuzzy stuff that makes them And a it's human unplanned, being. right? Like yeah. on the people experience side of things, um, issues, they just happen. They yeah. can yeah. happen. You don't plan for them. Um, but And that makes it even more important to make sure that recruitment is being a little bit more automated, a little bit more scaled for success uh, while keeping that personal touch. Yeah, that's the interesting challenge, isn't it? How, how do you do that? Because I wonder if anybody is listening who has ideas about that, because maybe they've seen that company, the history grow from hyper growth to, you know, the the Decacorn or the, the large corporate startups, whether they be the Facebooks or the Amazons. How have they succeeded and failed in that process i don't know the answer but i'm sure people do or have experienced or have ideas is look i've been through this process and this is what i've learned yeah. is that you know your challenge is you don't want to end up like the kind of companies that you're attracting talent from right who come here because they're seeking out everything that you stand for which is the beautiful business the people and the culture and so on yet if you become successful if it's unchecked, you could become another corporate. You could end up like a bank. Right. Yeah, no, no offense to banks, but a lot of mm -hmm. people want to leave banks to work on more exciting yeah. projects, right? I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a risk, right? And when we, if we go back twelve months, you know, each person that we added was five percent of our business. So if we hired two, that was ten percent. Like that's not. That doesn't really happen in bigger corporates. Like you know, it's not that you you become immaterial, um, but we really looked at each person that we were adding, but also the speed and pace. And you know, I did. I think we we definitely made some mistakes along the way. Not in terms of the people we hired, but you know, the first six to nine months was like a real roller coaster. And I I I don't like when the excuse of it's a startup is used because I think that you should be there to care for people and you should be able to show them the way and coach them and. You know, one of the, I think the biggest mistakes that I made was not having or dedicating enough time to those new people coming in. Um, and there's no, there's no excuses for it, right? Like it's kind of reflection now and go, wow, I was going full belt sprinting because I'd been at zero so long and I knew how stuff worked and I knew how to, you know, get to, get to the goal or get what I, I needed to get. Um, but there was a lot of people figuring out how to navigate that. And maybe not seeing all the steps that I was taking um, to achieve certain things and, and probably getting lost in that zone. And I think that's where I look back and go, wow, that was a real, that was a tough time. And I've spoken to the team. They were like, yeah, Kev, like <laughs> you were hard to get a hold of. You were hard to, to en get maybe engage with sometimes as well. And that was a, something that we, when we got away on our offsite and I was like, oh, wow, we've, we've just hired another, you know, 17 people. Yeah. We haven't, have we spent enough time with them? 
yeah. to do the things that we said we would, especially with the, the care factor, the onboarding, um, the knowledge transfer, you know, teach them how to look at the, you know, how do we get from startup to scale up? What does that actually mean? Um, because we have hired people that haven't come from that environment before. So when, when they come in and they see, you know, statements like hyper growth and triple figure growth and all this, they're like, whoa, this is like, how am I going to do it? Yeah. And sometimes they just need step one, two, three to get to step 10. But I think we were giving them step one, 1. 1.5 and then going and doing something else. You know, and that's, that's been something I've, I've learned a lot yeah. um, in terms of last year and, and certainly something that we have to be really focused on for the next 17 because I think we'll yep. hire, we're going to hire 15 again soon. You know, so that takes us over 50 people, right? So now you're getting into suddenly, you're going into from 15 a couple of years, go to 50, mm-hmm. yeah. to potentially 100, you know, in a year or two's time. Who knows? Interesting. Mm. It's a learning curve. I'm, yes, I'm going to take a punt now. I, mm. I think, just sort of rounding this up, you were both born in the 80s. Oh. I, I was. I was. I'm, I'm July 1980. I just squeezed in. <laughs> I'm right. I said I was the 80s. a 70s baby, technically. <laughs> Your 80s, definitely. Yeah. So, I think. Okay. So you're born in the 80s. I'm wondering. Um, you know, every, everything you've done brought you to this place now, right? So we can't change that. Yeah. You know, everything that you've, you know, you've all the lessons that you've learned, the mistakes you've made, the travels you've been on brought you here right now. We're doing this podcast together. If you were talking to your younger self, so mid nineties, maybe, or late nineties, whenever you were sort of going into the the world of work, maybe even not so long ago, some of you. So, but anyway, if you were sort of venturing out into the market, starting out, I know it's changed now. The, The world of work's very different, but, what kind of advice would you offer your younger self in setting out? Would you have advice? Do you have anything to offer your younger self? <laughs> Hopefully you've learned something over the last few years. So think about when you were graduating or even when you're going to university yeah. or thinking about going to university, that's an option now. Exactly. Uh, that's what I was thinking actually, because um really enjoyed, you know, university time, did a bachelor and then a, a master. So all in all was probably studying for all of, seven years and looking back I had really really good time doing it um but was it really really necessary I think actually you could learn so much more potentially doing um you know getting started in a job a little bit earlier um so I have you know great contacts and I look back at university time and I think that was a fantastic time but in terms of the tools that I learned for my job today I'm not so sure it was that important. Whereas, you know, I'm learning so much on a daily basis, just in my job, um, more than, you know, I ever learned studying anything. Um, So I'd say, I'd probably say to my younger self, don't be so serious about university and really think about, you know, what do you want to do for a job? I obviously made a a switch in my career um, pretty not that late, um, but you know, I maybe could have figured that out a little bit earlier. Um, That's I, hindsight. Right? It's so hindsight. Exactly. Yeah, you've learned that. That's a brave statement to yeah. say that, and I I fully agree with you. And I've worked it out with my son, who's thirteen now. If he says to me, "Look, I'm not going to university," I go, "Great, here's <laughs> here's half the money that would have cost me to send you to university. Go and start a business. Go and travel the world for a couple of years yeah. and then work out what you want to do. Exactly. Would you hire somebody here that didn't have a degree? Yes, I would. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. I don't think it, like experience can probably get you the interview, you know, or, or maybe qualification, but there's other ways to get an interview as well. Right. You know, and we've, we've got a great example of a, a young chap who, a Singaporean guy who's in poly, you know, studying um, business and it, probably a little bit lost in what he wants to do and doesn't know all of the roles that are out there. Like that's that's the thing. Like you don't go into investigation mode, I think at 18 or 19, like you don't, there's a real gap in your understanding of the world and you're kind of spat out of school and suddenly into a professional environment. And that happened to me. Like I didn't know what types of accounting or what types of the degrees I could do, but this chap called Jacob, um, contacted me on LinkedIn and he was like, Hey, you know, and he actually thought we were an accounting company at the start and he was looking for 
that type of opportunity. And I think he was doing the right thing. He mm. good online presence, you know, very professional in his open communications to me. And I, I softened that up with less of the formality. And, and I said to him, "Hey, can we can we just catch up? Like, I'd love to to talk to you and hear what's going on." And he ca- came to meet me, and he was all very official. And I could see in him that he he was just needed a bit of help you know needed a bit of guidance and um i tried to completely flip that on his head instead of being somebody that he could catch up and have a coffee with um we had our road show in singapore um late last year so i got him up on stage at the end and there was a thousand nearly a thousand accountants in the room who generally come from accounting practices and we talked about technology all day and then I just finished off the, the road show and said, hey, I'm going to bring somebody up on stage. He's 19. He's not been on stage before. You know, be, be nice, basically. Um, and he got up and introduced himself and said what he was doing. And we said, you know, the technology and all this, like, uh, systems that are getting pushed down your throat are not actually the future. Like, they exist already. You know, and debits and credits has not changed in hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just a different way to do it. Um, but this is the type of individual that you should be looking for, you know, in your businesses to to move forward. So he got up and he spoke for a couple of minutes. And um, I think within two weeks, he'd been offered a job at one of our accounting partners who are a very leading technology focused business who've completely automated all of their clients, put them all on zero. Um, and he's been working there doing internship. And I think that's where, mm. you know, and I, I would be happy to help somebody who's willing to take that little bit of a step forward and lean in to me. And then I'll say, okay, who can I help you with in my network? And, you know, I'm not saying if I get a hundred messages after this show, we won't get everybody up on stage, but maybe we could do something different. Yeah. You know, maybe we could say, you know, here's a big group of talent that's trying to get into a certain industry. Here's all of our accounting partners. There's a very easy way for us to match everybody mm-hmm. together. Um, and just do it because, like, not do it to get anything out of it. Like, I think it's important that you go into it, you know, helping somebody, mm. like, of that age to say, hey, here's a bit of a leg up. Now go take the next two steps yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the right ones need yeah. mentoring yeah, or need yeah. guidance, right? Yeah. And I, I I had wrong mentoring, I would say, or incorrect mentoring for me when I was that age. And You've turned out all right, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <coughs> not a finished product. Um, so... You know, I'd, I'd gone to the, the, the you know, guidance counsellor in school, you know, to talk about career counselling and, you know, what was next. Career counselling actually sounds really serious, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of like, I don't have one. Can you help me? Um, and he said, well, the only way to become an accountant is to go to full-time university, then do the professional exams, then you get your experience, your letters, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I followed that, that advice. And I went to I went to university, and then I started to dig a bit more, and I quit uni after two months, and I went and worked for an accounting firm, and they put me straight into the professional exams, and I studied at night time and weekends and worked full time for them, but it meant I ended up qualified at you know just turned twenty three years of age, whereas my friends that were still in uni were only still in their third year, mm-hmm. and they still had another two or three years of professional exams to go after that, so I got to jump on them. That's the way I see it. It was like, how can I be better than everybody else around me right now? Yeah. But it also meant, and going back to what MJ said, at that age, I suddenly had four or five years of experience working with clients. You know, I started working there when I was 19, which means now I've been working for 20 years, but people my age may have been working for 10 or 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a differentiator, I think. Yeah, yeah it's a major um, advantage. But you, you yeah. asked the question early mm-hmm. on, didn't you? You were curious enough to say, yeah. how could this be done rather than just accept what was given to you? Yeah. It's a beautiful story. So I think that would be a great point to end this conversation. And well, may, maybe not just the end of the conversation because maybe there will be more zero on air. And um, I'm sure people listening may be wondering how they can reach out to you guys. What's the most effective way of being in contact with you? Is it LinkedIn? Do I turn up at Cross Street? Do I come to one of your road shows? Any of the above? What works for you? Any of the bu- any of the above? I'm yeah. happy. Um, of course, you know, if people want to get in touch directly on LinkedIn, that I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any of the above. Reach yeah. out, talk to us. Yeah. You know, if you want to come to the office, perfect. Maybe ping us for us, make sure we're here. 
because um, we travel around the region quite a bit. But you know, if somebody wants to come see the office, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Reach out, and like you said, with Jacob. Yep. Yeah, it's um, cut through the formalities a little bit. Yeah. So yep. you know, it's not Mr. Fitzgerald. It's <laughs> maybe you'd be happy to be called Kevin and MJ as well. So yeah. you're happy with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation um, with you both, and thank you for letting us into the world of zero and showing us the inside out you know, the people that make the brand. And like you said, I think MJ people are the brand here. So hopefully people get a hold of that and understand what you're trying to do here and want to be part of that as well. So um, this is Graham Brown. We're in the Zero office in Cross Street, Singapore. And we will be back, I think, very soon on part two. We've, we're going to explore different aspects of Zero. Um, talk to some of your partners as well. Brilliant. Find out a little bit about that. And I think you'll be back as well, Kevin, won't you? For the Yes, please, if you'll have me. <laughs> yeah, we'll have you back. I think you, were, you, did, you behaved very well. But, <laughs> um, thank you so much for inviting us in. I've really enjoyed this. So um, we are signing out. You've been listening to Zero On Air with Kevin Fitzgerald and MJ Mahalane Yanmart. Find out more about how cloud accounting can help you achieve success at zero.com. My name's Graham Brown. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.